Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. This episode is part of a series I made for my main podcast, I Heart Movies, in 2021. I don't have anything new to add to or edit from this one, so I'm going to leave it as is, and we can get right into the episode. Yes, sir, honey? It happened on one of them zippity-doo-dah days. Now, that's the kind of day when you can't open your mouth without a song jump right out of it zippity-doo-da zippity-yay my oh my what a wonderful day plenty of sunshine heading my way zippity-doo-da zippity-yay Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. This month I'm doing another miniseries, this time looking into Disney's journey into live action. We technically have touched on some of this, like in our episode on The Reluctant Dragon and films like Fantasia, or even several of the package films, which featured a melding of animation and live action. But Walt really wanted to keep pushing the boundaries of what his studio was doing, and started making real strides towards live action in the 40s, starting with today's film, Song of the South. Now, of course, I'm sure most people listening to this have heard of this film. It's kind of Disney's black sheep of the family. They barely even want to acknowledge its existence, save for its one song, zippity doo which they'll claim any day of the week. But even if you've heard of it, there's a pretty good chance you've never seen it, and that's by design. For a variety of reasons, most of which have to do with race, Disney has basically hidden this film away for decades. They kind of did away with the Disney vault when Disney Plus came out, but it still exists for a handful of films, mostly this one. There's no official way to watch this movie, but it's still available in places like archive.org if you want to go searching for it. So given how fraught this film is with controversy, I knew I had to be sensitive if I was going to ever cover it. And as a fan of Disney history, I couldn't not cover it. I mean, I plan to cover it all the way back at the beginning of this podcast. I even mentioned it in the trailer before the first episode of I Heart Movies, back then when it was called the I Heart Podcast, that this was one that I eventually wanted to get to. And here we are, probably over three years later finally getting to it. So, in order to be fair, balanced, and hopefully sensitive to the subject matter, I decided that instead of just getting one guest, I would recruit a whole panel of guests. I have a lot of friends who like movies and or Disney, so I had plenty of people I could choose from, but I wanted to make sure that each guest would have something different to say. To that end, I got together four guests, each with a unique perspective. Rachel Wagner, who is a film critic and Disney fan, Eli Sanza, who is a huge film history buff and specializes in Disney history, Jenna West, who works at Disneyland and is up-to-date on the film's presence in the parks, and Sarah North, my cousin and a big history buff who has read a lot about the time period depicting the movie, which, contrary to popular belief, is actually post-Civil War during the Reconstruction Era. Okay, I think that's all I've got for now. Let's get into this episode, which has been a long time coming. Song of the South. Mm-hmm. Everything is satisfied. Zippity Wonderful feeling. Wonderful day. I guess the first thing we could all talk about, like our general reaction to the movie, like what we think of it overall, or if you have like a history with the movie. For me, the first time I watched this was two nights ago when I wrote my notes. (laughs) So I've never seen this before. I didn't grow up with this either. Yeah. Not that it would have been that easy to grow up with. It's kind of. My mother remembers books. 
one or more books. I vaguely childhood. remember a book on tape at the library because I remember the kid, the animated characters. Okay, I had no memory of this. I didn't know that this is where Zippity Doodah came from. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the reason that I picked all the all the people who are here today is for all different reasons. I guess we can start with Rachel. Rachel, I picked you because. You're just kind of a general film critic, film fan, and I know you've talked about Song of the South before, and <laughs> I thought you might have a good perspective on the movie. Well, thank you. It's always uh, nice to be invited. I I don't remember if I saw Song of the South. They did a re-release in the 80s. I think the last one was like 85, but I would have been like really 86. small. 86 yeah so i would have been like a kindergartner <laughs> if i had seen it uh but I, I so i don't recall seeing it but i saw it for i reviewed it for my blog uh, a couple of years ago and i just was thoroughly underwhelmed like yes it has all of the offensive stuff that people don't like and i totally get it but it's just such a bland boring lame movie <laughs> that i i just i i just think they should just release it and move on it is not worth it it is not worth all i feel like all the controversy makes it seem like it's this uh, special movie or worthy of some kind of discussion but it's really not it's i mean i, I like james basket i think he's charming mm -hmm. and i i think that zippity doodah is a pretty fun song but and the animation is good for the era it's fine uh but uh, it's just not a good movie in my opinion i like that he's starting with you and your underwhelmed opinion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like okay guys this is not worth being excited no, about it's not worth it it's just release it and move on <laughs> That's well, we opinion. can we can move on to Eli then, because I think Eli likes it a little bit better than you do. Um, <laughs> I wanted Eli on the podcast because he's kind of a film history aficionado, kind of like old <laughs> Hollywood and Disney movies in particular, kind of a specialty. So I thought he would have a good perspective. And I saw some tweets the other day when you were watching it. It seems like you actually liked it. So what what's your take on Song of the South, Eli? Yeah, my take is kind of the opposite of Rachel's. I, I a little bit because I sort of understand what he's saying. There are some things about it that are flawed that that make the movie flawed, and it's got it's got problems. But it, I thought that it did a good job doing what it set out to do. Like, mm -hmm. okay, so I the, the the main thing I liked obviously was the the animated the animated segments. I thought the animated segments involving the rabbit and the fox and the bear, I thought those were really well done. Mm -hmm. And, and, the, and I thought those were, and most people agree with that. Those, that those are the highlights of the film and the, and, and, the, and also the animation and the songs are really like some of, some of the best that Disney has ever done. I, I think. And so those, are, you know, yeah. So those, I think, are the best parts. The 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 live action scenes are are kind of mediocre. They're not. They're not like 
I said before when I was talking about this movie that the, that the story isn't that deep and the characters aren't that three-dimensional. It's just a really simple mm-hmm. story. And that, I think, is one of the main reasons why it's sort of uh, mediocre. It has the reputation of being mediocre. And, but I'm sort of a, like a, a sucker for like sentimental stories. I think that might be why I'm a little, going a little easier on it, because I think it has a big heart. And I think, and I think James Basket in particular is a really good emotional anchor because he is a really good actor and he's a really good actor and he, and he is like, he, he has like a, uh, such, so much authenticity in his performance that it seems like it's easy to love him. It's easy to like be empathetic towards him. And his relationship with Bobby Driscoll's character, Johnny is like a, another like central part of the film that I think is, well handled just like you know the, all this stuff is, is makes it you know makes me think it's, it's better than average it's still like i said it's still got problems but i think it it, it handles what it tries to do really well mm-hmm. and what about you jenna what are your thoughts i i wanted you to come on the show because i know you you liked it a little more than rachel did from what you were telling me <laughs> plus you're familiar with the theme park stuff which there is kind of a theme park controversy in addition to the regular controversy too. So I know you were, you're kind of up on theme park stuff and I'm definitely not. Oh yes. Um, and also, I'm also, I kind of know a little bit about the development history of the film, which uh, if you don't know, was actually um, intimately involved with Alice, like what they were going to do with Alice in Wonderland. Oh, uh, no, I did not know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, there's actually this huge history between it you can almost call it like Alice of the South. It was supposed to be a live action movie with um, a live action Alice and Lewis Carroll. But over time, Walt decided that to replace it with the Uncle Remus because he always liked the Briar Rabbit stories. But also he was getting a lot of um, people like being really annoying. Like, are you doing it right? You know, do you need consultation? And um, Uncle Remus is a fictional character. So mm-hmm. he could do what he wanted with it. But anyway, um, I'm rambling. I should talk about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with the Splash Mountain attraction. We did not have it in any accessible media form. That's the only way I knew about it. And I, I remember always bugging my parents, like, what movie is this? Why don't we have it? Can we get it? And <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't know what movie this is. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, personally... I do like it. I don't, but I think Rachel's right at the same time. It is mediocre, but that's kind of why I like it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think you are both right. Um, But the, the reason why I find it so interesting is it's kind of like the proto Mary Poppins. That's the way I see it. Like song, the South walked so Mary Poppins could run. Mm. And um, like, I see a lot of similarities I could kind of see how Walt, you know, it's like, you know, we could, I could do something like this, like better. And that's how Mary Poppins was born. And I don't know, there's something charming in it about how bad it is. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just think that if it was just a 
random Disney live action film. I'm just like, eh, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's so much talk and discussion about it and it's such a thing. And so you expect something like that to be better, I think, when there's so much controversy. And then when you watch it and it's just like, what i agree with you i agree with you because it's made out to be a lot worse than it really is just watch it. well because because it because it was banned it was banned like yeah, if you if it was oh banned. it's it's not technically banned though disney just won't release it it's just buried oh well, yeah that's, <laughs> well, yeah that, that's that's what i mean that's what i mean it's like they they're just keeping it so locked in the vault it's, you people can't help but be curious about it which makes mm-hmm. it seem like it's more interesting than it is yeah, yeah. Like, to be honest, Disney did this to themselves. They shot themselves in the foot. If they had just released a home video in the 90s, people would just be like, oh, yeah, that, that is kind of cringy. But, and just, you know. put, just put like a smoking <laughs> thing before it. Like, we don't, mm-hmm. there may be some things yeah. in here that you're not going to like. And also, they, you know, yeah. I, I actually think from, from watching it a couple nights ago, They've released worse stuff. Like I think the, the racial like, stuff in Peter Pan is worse than this. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. The Pete's Dragon has a scene, has a whole group that have a bill of sale for a human, and they say they own the human for their own Pete, and they want him back so they can have him be a slave. And that's play like, for humor too. Well, so, yeah, it's a barrel of yeah. laughs. And they're also going to take the the dragon, and they're going to make a a, con- a tonic out of him and <laughs> that's the main plot of the movie i i mean <laughs> there's just so many better more interesting live action disney films that it's like why aren't we talking about them they should just release this and move on it's nobody will care five minutes after they see it because it's so Bland. I remembered none of that from Pete's Dragon. I watched it like once, thought it was kind of blah, and mainly remember <laughs> yeah, that yeah. candle on the water song oh. and the romance and how he finally made it back to her. So yeah, I don't remember the no. dragon tonic thing. They are. That's the, there's a whole song about it. We're gonna turn him into a tonic. <laughs> the best part about Pete's Dragon is really Jim Dale, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the candle in the water is the, the my favorite part about Pete's Dragon, but I don't know. I just, I, I just feel like it has this now. This legacy is like being really important and being, and I'm not saying it's not offensive. It is. It does have offensive stuff, but it's just such a bland movie that I, I'd rather talk about Gone with the Wind. It's way more interesting. I feel like Gone with the Wind. There's more. There's more interesting discussion about whether. You know whether it's a you should cancel it or whether it's worth yeah like you know preserving that's what i'm saying yeah well we have one more guest that we haven't introduced my cousin sarah is here <laughs> yeah sorry you, you guys are going in like into coffee shop intellectual mode like yeah how i feel about this other thing well i really wanted sarah to join in on this one because she gets into the history of stuff I was and I the, knew she'd have a good perspective. I was the most reluctant guest because it's like, oh, this is controversial. I don't know. This feels awkward. But I, I was like, is anybody going to talk about like the 1800s history and the, you know, political controversy of the 40s? And he didn't really think so. It's like, oh, I may have to come on because I really <laughs> want to talk about it. 
Oh, I'm glad you're coming on then, because like yeah. I know a little bit, but not enough to really talk about it. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Because Walter was a fan <laughs> of these, these Uncle Remus novels. They were b- very popular at the time, right? Um, mm. Well, they they would have had to have been rather popular. And I can I can get into that, but I think I'm supposed to be saying how I felt in general about the movie at the <laughs> moment. And... It really is a mixture of what you guys are saying. Like, I think that James Basket was like, he's the best thing about the movie to me. Mm-hmm. I think he's just such a sweetheart. And I wasn't that like, I thought that the plot line didn't tell you enough about what was actually going on with his dad and why we were supposed to be so upset. And I thought it was rather hammy, but Oh, his little friend. Like, I liked Johnny's friends better than Johnny. (laughs) 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 Like the little girl and that other, the other little boy who brought him the the frog. And I think his name was Toby. Toby. Oh my goodness. Toby was so cute. (laughs) And that other little girl. Ginny. Ginny. Oh my goodness. So cute. And that tiny little voice and that whole thing about her nasty brothers and their poor dress anyway um (laughs) but no I like I don't know if I'd ever rewatch it because it just didn't pull me in that much Mm -hmm. like the cartoons didn't pull me in that much and the story didn't didn't feel like it was fleshed out enough to me but there were cozy elements of it like oh my goodness the choir type singing that they had I thought was absolutely gorgeous I wouldn't mind having that on a CD for when I'm out driving and yeah Uncle Remus was was great that was the Hall Hall Johnson Choir they were great that was gorgeous yeah if you know where I can find more of that um (laughs) yeah so those those two things probably isn't that the same group that was the Crows in Dumbo um, I I can't remember, but I, I it may it might have been it might have been. That was town. That was cool. Yeah. Yes, they were the crows. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On. Thank you. So Thank I you. Okay. Them, That's what I thought. I, I have looked them up then, so I should look them up again. But yeah, I I can keep my my general mm. comments. I'm sure we'll be discussing things in more detail in a second here. So mm. that was kind of my general impression of like kind of one and done i mean maybe i'd go back and watch snippets of it but mm-hmm. yeah i mean from what i have read is that walt actually thought by showcasing these uncle ramus books that he was actually doing something kind of progressive mm-hmm. that he was doing something pro uh telling in his mind he was telling the african-american stories and, and there there seemed to be I think there there might have been some some push during the war to try to really try and improve relations there. Mm-hmm. It was very hard for him to win in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, he already had someone cautioning him, like the like you could end up with the people who who hate black people being unhappy and the people who love black people being unhappy, and and he, yeah. the hate the the Hayes office was like be very clear that this you know 
make sure that people know that this is in the 1870s, that this wasn't during slavery. And he didn't make that clear enough and got in trouble. Well, and even at the time when it was released, there was people that the NAACP and other people that came out against yeah, the film. It's, see, not like, it's, that was, it's not like this is a cancel culture thing. Part of the problem, well, I feel like there was more of the mood back then of today than than we realize. Part of what happened with the NAACP is that they mistakenly thought that it was set during slavery and that it was presenting this glorified picture. One of them was like, oh, it's so beautiful that it's hard to be mad at it. But still, I mean, they thought they literally thought it was beautiful, but they felt that it contained all of the cliches of the book is the way they put it. And they didn't like the African-American English, which I have opinions about that too. Um, I mean, there were, there were picket lines outside and there were one, one of them was actually singing to the tune of Jingle Bells. Disney tells, Disney tells lies about the South. <laughs> I, just had to, I just had to include that. I mean, I, I just think although sometimes you hear that, oh, like, oh, Disney's caving to the woke meat mafia or whatever, and it's like, no, this no, is there was from the very was, beginning. There was pressure, like from oh my yeah. God. There were a lot of people unhappy. There, there were people, yeah. like I say, literally picketing. And this was not in just one location. This yeah. was in in others in different cities. So it's not something yeah. that's like new that it's controversial. No, no. no. I mean, yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I was a little bit surprised, even though I'm interested in this type of history, to find out just how probably on edge that they were at the time, because it's so easy to look back and think, oh, they just did whatever and said whatever and were disrespectful. But there were people who cared and there were people who were like, don't you dare to step on step on toes here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no it's it's very interesting yeah you know, even back even back then there were like african-americans who saw that film and they and they thought that the 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 black vernacular of, of, how, of how the black characters in that movie talked was like exaggerated to how they actually talk and that was that's the one of the main controversies involved in the film and here's my question too here's my question too because this is long enough. I mean, yes, some of them probably, I would imagine some of these people had grandparents who mm. had been enslaved. Mm. But I wonder how many of them knew how people were talking in the 1870s? Like how many of us can say how, how our grandparents' generation talked on the street? It's one of those things where I feel partly knowledgeable and partly ignorant because say I love Mark Twain and the dialect that he wrote was a very, very thick accent that's fun to read. And I just question, was this worth being offended about? Like you have people who haven't been in the country that long and yet they have accents and they have vernacular and it's like are you are you unintentionally erasing part of history by being offended that this happened i mean i it's a difficult topic i think yeah 
I mean, a lot of a lot of people back then should be commended that they spoke fluent English at all. If you've come from a foreign country and and all of a sudden you have to to cope with this situation, so I don't know. I just go ahead, go ahead. Well, that's that, that's a that's a that's a good question. It's it's it's, it's interesting because the, the the Joel Joel Chandler Harris, the the man who was the author of Uncle Remus stories, he he grew up. In, on a plantation, and he mm. talked with slaves. Yeah, and oh, that, see, and his, see, you're touching yeah, on yeah, what yeah, I wanted yeah. to talk about so badly, because I oh, think yeah, yeah, yeah. unless you take the context of the author of these stories into consideration, that it's much more easy to be offended. And once you know the backstory of the author, because if you just thought, oh, yeah. it's some random white guy, you could think, oh, yeah, he's exaggerating. But this was somebody who was, his father abandoned him a few days after he was born. His mother was an Irish immigrant. He had red hair. And yes, kindness was bestowed on them and they did okay. But he felt really self-conscious about being from an unwed family his whole life. And he, he took a job on a newspaper. Oh, let me see. I wrote down the name of it. I won't be able to find it now. Um, he was born in 1848. Okay, so he he was old enough to remember the Civil War very well, and he would have worked on a newspaper during that time on this plantation. So he was uh, it was called the Countryman. The Countryman, right? And he he is said to have spent hundreds of hours, not just oh hey, but hundreds of hours in the slave quarters, and he felt like because of his insecurities, his humbler background, that he actually was able to forge a deeper connection with those people. And when he went to write those stories, which started out as a serial and were compi compiled into a book in late 1880, he said that he wrote them, and I quote, to um, preserve in permanent shape those curious mementos of a period that will no doubt be sadly misrepresented by historians of the future. So make of that statement what you will, but obviously he cared about those people and he cared about their stories, which he was writing down African-American oral tradition mm -hmm. and his intentions were very, very good. So anybody who wants to look at that and say, Oh, this is, this is inappropriate or, or whatever. I think they need to, to think about the source too, and and to be careful that in censoring something, that they're they're not also erasing cultural history. Like these are people's oral traditions. Yeah, yeah, that's actually another thing that gets me. I mean, Joel Chandler Harris did write the book that this movie is based on, but he didn't make up the stories. They were no, from African Americans. Actually, they have a, a root, the, like the Tar Baby story, for instance. I just recently found this out by co complete coincidence because of um, I'm uploading episodes of a rare anime from the 70s. Yeah. And they have a story that really closely mimics the Tar Baby story. So I was like, what's going on here? And I found yeah. out, I found out it actually, this Tar Baby story comes from Africa. Like, well, it, and they think that it could actually trace, like iterations of it can trace back to potentially India and Iran. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like Pakistan, all of, all of all, these different yeah. countries, like South America of all places. Bahamas. No. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't come up with these stories. So you got to wonder too, if, if these stories were also kind of traveling with Africans to different countries too, mm. and, and evolving, I don't know, but it, that's like, that's a whole rabbit hole that you could fall down into as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 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 Noel Sanza Harris was also he was uh, he was pro racial reconciliation right he was like he was yeah. he was and he was he liked the fact that slaves were being freed and I would have to dig into that deeper but this is yeah this is definitely not somebody who was just trying to make fun of how slaves talked use them as a use them as a way to make money and just be flippant about it no this is somebody who cared. Yeah, and it's like yeah. I, I, I have tried to read the stories, um, like Good the way you, he wrote I it. Uh, <laughs> I tried; it was really hard for me, and uh, I was like, the only way I can read this is like sounding it out myself, and I feel horrible when I do that, so I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, there's sort of the idea that that is problematic that the the black characters are somehow sort of childlike in there there's something sort of i don't know that that they're naive. not a, yeah naive maybe even stupid uh that it wears the i've the, seen that in movies and i did yeah. not get that from this one like the cook she's not taking guff and she's a capable person and uncle remus is <laughs> like the wisest one in the film so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i got that too it didn't seem like if anything, the white people are really stupid besides the kids. Yeah. But like cuddly and kind of like cute in a way that's a little bit like uh, makes you a little uncomfortable, I think. Well, it Fair enough, make I me, so I don't know what that says about me, but I wasn't uncomfortable by that. Like, I don't know. You know, it's kind of the whole mammy idea in Gone with the Wind, you know, that uh, that and it, yeah. I don't know. I don't I know do. about birth and no babies and that that kind of idea is awkward. I, I mean, yeah, it was a little. Song of the South was a little bit, a little bit better in the way they represented black people than uh, than earlier Hollywood films. Not much better, but it. But the fact that like Walt Disney actually was like, well, he actually wanted James Baskett like he like Walt, Walt Disney actually loved James, Bas- James Baskett so much he like lobbied for him to get an Oscar and he he was yeah. because he knew he was such he was such a professional that he was like he admired him and hey, he was and he was the yeah. first African-American to get um to get an honorary academy award yeah especially the way they treat him at the end when they're uh they're not gonna let him spend any time with Johnny at the end is kind of I don't know. I just think it's, it's I not the best. That, that's not how it resolved, though, was it? Also, I, I have a question. I'm going to get an opinion poll. Did Uncle Remus have a flirtation going on with that cook? <laughs> or did he just want oh. her or did he just want her pie or something? <laughs> yes, definitely. I feel like the whole sometime you'll be coming around. I, I don't know. It's flirty to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it seems flirty to me. It seems it seems like they didn't lean into that, but I feel like it was subtle. I feel, yeah, but like I maybe, feel like it was supposed it was supposed to be there. Kind of like on um, 
man from Snowy River where he's <laughs> chasing the cooker. It's like, okay, they don't really end up together in the end, but he, they obviously were interested in each other. Anyway, that's a total side note. That probably will get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we were going somewhere else with that until I interjected. We haven't heard that. what Jonathan thought of the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, I was thinking about that. My thoughts are kind of an amalgamation of everybody's. I didn't think it was that great, but it was enjoyable enough. And I think that Uncle Remus was the best character. I didn't like Johnny yeah. very much. I thought he was kind of annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why was he so upset? I don't get it. Like, yeah. was his dad supposed to be gone indefinitely? Like, if your dad's just away on business for a little while, you don't need to run away from wherever and get gored by a bull or whatever happened. I mean, I guess he didn't get gored, but I mean, what was going on there? The thing about that story, what I noticed, I noticed when I was watching it that the, that they didn't make it clear about why the dad was leaping. They were yeah, they only and, le- they only leaned in on the fact that the son was sad about it, and that was the only point. And they were acting like it was wrong for him to be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because for a lot of men, like they have to go away and do things and then come back. And and he's a reporter, yeah. isn't he? Like he was working for a newspaper. And, yeah, it's kind of like don't they, reporters travel. <laughs> and they act like there's some kind of controversy, but it's like, why are they taking, why are they being left at, however you want to say it, the plantation? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's gone. Like that was one of the things that really bugged me about this is that yeah. they really didn't tell you everything that was going on. And, and I feel like that was a, I feel like that was an odd story choice because I feel like I if I were directing that movie I would have I would have made it clear why he was leaving. Mm-hmm. It's actually yes. kind of a leftover from the Alice version, believe it or not. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, because uh, in the Alice version, Alice's parents have left to go on, traveling on some important business trip or something. It doesn't make any sense considering you know her dad was the dean of the university, but mm. <laughs> it should be there. But um, so she was left in the care of the governess. And the whole point is supposed to be like the parents aren't there. Um, so it seems like to me, they just kind of like transported that from the original Alice draft. And they just kind of like, eh, who cares? They took an odd plot line and transformed it into another odd plot line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, is, this, this film has a weird, interesting history. <laughs> and the thing is, this would have been really bad if they had said it, say, during the civil war but it would make more sense like if he oh why he's the going dad would off, have to go yeah why he oh he's going off to war and johnny's really upset well yeah we get it why johnny's really upset but with this one it's like well what's going on with the newspaper that's this bad <laughs> i do kind of wonder if maybe when they when they did transplant it to song of the south maybe they were thinking about putting it during the civil war i don't and then know. they changed their minds <laughs> well this movie went through so many screenplay changes and maybe that could have been part of it like at one point but then they mm-hmm. dropped it like who knows you know the history of this the the film's development is sadly lacking i feel like because like um just the only reason why i know about the alice stuff is because i do alice yeah like a lot of people don't know about like um the alice history link with the film um so I feel like we're missing a lot of the story treatments this film went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I only know vague stuff about about it. Like, yeah. I don't know any detailed. Yeah. Well, that would make the most sense to have it be a plot thread left over from another draft that they didn't fill in. 
<laughs> but they should have filled That's... it in because that was my main issue with this. Is like, why is this kid such a whiner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Walt probably wanted something about because when you think about it, there's a similar thing in Mary Poppins as well about parents not being engaged with their children. Mm. Um, and I feel yeah. like he wanted yeah. something like that. But is this like looping back to his childhood or something, and we just don't know? He did have a very bad relationship with his dad. Oh no! He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh he's, no! Well, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. He is projecting. He is projecting when he does this. Yeah, Elias Disney used to like force him. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna say it. Walt was kind of abused. Um, he was. He was. Yeah. yeah. He loved his dad, but he wasn't the great greatest dad. I'll just was leave it there. Kind of, was he kind of rough and neglectful? Yeah, I mean. Uh, let's just say the the biggest thing he did was like make Walt work as a kid, and he like uh he made him do like newspaper routes where he had to like go out in the freezing snow, and he was like yeah, yeah in the now. middle of the night he had to wake up at like four a.m. or something like that. Yeah, that almost and- sounds like of the times. Like I I I halfway joked with Jonathan one time we were doing a review because it's like they didn't have time for disorders; they had to go out and work. <laughs> make a living for the family you know? like, right but he would beat he would beat him with his belt though so it was a yeah. little bit more than just the basically sort of- he probably felt like like there wasn't the tenderness along with along with that harsh yeah. discipline and that rigorous life to yeah. balance out and walt was always trying to impress his dad and make him proud of him I don't know if you guys have ever heard the antidote of when you showed him his studio, like when he built the Burbank studio after Snow White, mm. what his dad said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did his dad say? His dad said, this would be better as a hospital. See, <laughs> yeah. see so, okay. Exactly. This, yeah. So he's basically one of those where if he had been, if he had made him work really hard and if he had been harsh, but if he had also been like, wow, I am proud of you. This is great. Like all of that would have, gone away probably but the fact that he could never please him and probably felt emotionally neglected by him probably yeah from what you're saying this would inform these plot lines yeah so he's definitely he was also he was also scarred by the fact that he kind of was somewhat responsible for killing his mother uh with uh the um there was she was killed in a gas leak in the house that wasn't that his dad too or just his mom um i, I thought, thought it was both his parents he bought them a new house and there was a was just his mom, but i could be wrong about that yeah. so did walt feel responsible for her death or mm-hmm. did he, he oh. did yeah i personally well, think he yeah. shouldn't have but i get it i think yeah that's human nature of like wow if i did this and then this happened and it's so it's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Well, this is cheerful. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is instrumental to understanding why there's this plot line in the movie, right? So it was just his mother. I think his father had already died. Oh, did he die earlier? Yes. Okay. But he was still working through his stuff, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think that Walt thought that he's, he had these these books that he thought were charming. And he thought, oh, let's tell a let's tell these stories let's tell the you know these african-american stories and i i think at least this is the impression that i've gotten and 
that he was kind of surprised slash maybe even a little hurt that uh that it, the response was what it was but but really i mean now as now we can look back and be like well of course there was this response these weren't his stories to tell these weren't yeah. his <laughs> mm, mm. well but yeah. who else was yeah, going to tell was, them at the time at the time yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, well, that's interesting. That's interesting because, yeah, he, I, that he was disappointed with the reaction to the film because he thought this was going to be, you know, you know how Walt Disney is. You Disney fans who are historians yeah. know yeah. how Walt, don't want it. when he gets an idea for a movie, he's the most enthusiastic person ever. And he has, and like he, he was like, just like with Fantasia, just like with Bambi, he thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever. And so his expectations weren't met, and it was. But 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 like you say, it was. It's not surprising that this is the reaction. He, I mean, I I feel like this was. He should have known this was a kind of a a tightrope to make this kind of movie, and it was like a movie that takes place during the era of slavery. I mean, he mm-hmm. should have known that this was not going to be easy. You know what just yeah. occurred to me? It's like this is during the war years. This is also close to the time that he would have had strikes and been dealing with oh yeah the uncertainty oh, yeah. of the war and all of or the strike. So the yeah, strike that's was right. crazy. He was not having a great time, was he? And then no. and then during that, was it during that that one of his parents died and he was in South America and he didn't get I don't Oh yeah, it was that it was in that documentary. The yeah, Gato and he didn't, he didn't make it back for the funeral. Did yeah, he? it was like it was but, like difficult because of the nature of travel at the time. So yeah, he was having a he was having a great time, wasn't he, guys? <laughs> no, the, the, the nineteen yeah. the nineteen forties the nineteen forties were a really tough decade for him. There was a, a lot of bad stuff was happening, and like it was yeah. like the, the he, that was sort of the decade when Walt started becoming less involved in the production of animated movies because like, you know, how in the 1950s he started doing his television show and his theme park and live action mm-hmm. movies more often. It was like, that was because he was like turned off by animation in the forties because there was so much uh, bad, bad the, stuff happening in the forties. Well, associated. Yeah. And the, he had, he had the, uh, the strikes, which were very devastating to him I'm not saying they weren't deserved, but they were devastating to him because he saw himself as building this kind of quasi family. So the fact Mm -hmm. that his family would strike against him and they probably had every right to strike, but to him and his perspective, it was very devastating. And, but one thing that I I don't think that Disney is given quite enough credit for is that for the time he was pretty progressive as far as yeah. hiring female animators hiring uh, people of color hiring and and uh, you, yeah, if you nobody listen to, talks about floyd norman enough yeah i, I was just gonna bring him up yeah. floyd norman he loves and, this film i think yeah. mm-hmm. he and he will defend walt disney to yeah that he was a really great boss and that he was a great person to work for who's and, floyd norman Floyd Norman is an animator that worked for Disney, still alive and really charming. I saw him at uh, FanX uh, a while back and at, I got a picture with him at D23. Uh, he's really great. And he has a blog where he, I don't know if he's still writing in it, but he had a blog for a long time and he, he has just been a rigorous defender of Walt Disney. He was the first African-American yeah. artist at the studio. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I think that's I think that's telling when somebody works for you and says, I mean, not if you're Bobby Driscoll, <laughs> like there's just, there are uh, more than one opinion. But the fact that well, and the little boy who played Toby, he he grew up and he moved on from I, that might have been the only movie that he did, but he thought highly of Walt, I believe yeah. too. Like all, almost everyone who worked with Walt Disney personally said that he was great. Like that was that's the thing. Like and that's telling. Like. Because there's a lot of room yeah. for, for grievance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Floyd said something to the effect of that he never saw anything that he didn't feel like was deserved that somebody that is as far as, well, you know, boss and, you know, that he would chew, he would chew people out, but that there was never anything that he felt like was, was undeserved or, or crossing the line. Crossing right. line, yeah, exactly. And there's a difference between being totally verbally abusive and being like, "Hey, this is not okay." And right. I don't know, I wasn't there, but yeah, yeah I believe yeah. you. So, well, yeah, well, Walt, Walt Disney was a perfectionist. That was the thing. It was like he was such a perfectionist sure. that he like yeah. if, if, if everyone wasn't giving it the hundred percent, then he then yeah, he got frustrated, but he never took it out on anyone in particular. Wasn't he known for like being silent and people would be scared? <laughs> he was like, "Oh no, he doesn't like it." Especially Pinocchio. That that one was redone and redone and redone. Which it, it makes sense because that's your second movie. It's your in it. That everyone's going to have their eye on it with another and, negligent father yeah. figure. <laughs> 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 A little bit, but uh, at least he likes you about your pedo. He tries. <laughs> yes. He was I mean, trying, but my goodness. Here, go out I, to school by yourself, you newly. one day old baby. I mean, that's the way it was. <laughs> yeah, but one day old. Yeah, just go. I mean, he, he ends up in the whale for uh, for. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was no, the worst, no. worst, first day of school ever. So. Now, now I'm just gonna be on the lookout for this with Disney films. Like, oh, how was the father figure on this one? Were, were they asleep at the helm? Here? Yeah, that is kind of funny though. It's just like figure out where the school is, have fun. <laughs> Bye. Oh dear. Oh my goodness. Anyway, but. I mean, I I feel a little bad sometimes for Walt because I feel like anytime he tried to do anything sort of creatively ambitious, it never really worked all that well. And then he would do something mainstream and more appealing, and then it would do great. It would just go get yeah, uh, that, mm. that was the, like, no, uh, that was the frustrating thing. That was the frustrating thing because he he was super he was super creative, but he like he like the world wasn't like ready for a lot of his stuff. He was ahead of his time with Fantasia. Yeah, that's what I was thinking right there. Fantasia, Fantasia, Pinocchio, but then Snow White and Dumbo do really well. Is it just the thing Um, of the Cinderella? Wasn't Snow White still like a creative, like ambitious project though? Because no one thought it was going to work. It was, but I I think it's still. no i mean it still was fairly mainstream as far as like the story and yeah. the i think i mean and yeah. then it would have been it really wasn't as ambitious as yeah. right and uh and then he he you know he does cinderella that's a huge hit he does alice in wonderland which is more sort of out of the box i think and it doesn't do very well and yeah. you know then yeah. he does something like 
uh, Lady and the Tramp, which is more mainstream, and it does really well. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just so you have to you have to put out the fluffy stuff in order to fund your your art. Yeah. And he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He he really didn't like 101 Dalmatians. He hate kind of hated mm-hmm. it. I kind of love it. So yeah, I, mean, I love it. I absolutely adore I- it. That's a great movie. He, it he, is. He, it's the only reason why he didn't. The only reason why he didn't like it is because I, I don't think he liked the, the the animation process because he, yeah. he was like a huge proponent. Mm. He was like a huge proponent of like Sleeping Beauty looked good, yeah. but like the Hundred One Dalmatians was completely different. It looked sketchy, sketchier, and he didn't like that downgrade. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Whereas now I look at it and to me, it seems like art of the times and a reflection of the times. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was done cheaply until I was told. Maybe my eyes just don't look for that. If if you're going to have the Xerox method, what better method than what better movie than one with black and white spotted dogs? Yeah, really. For all the animation they had to do that, that that was the perfect one to use that on. Mm Because otherwise, can you imagine how long that would have taken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a good-looking no. movie too. It was like kind of stylized. I don't know. Yeah, what you know it's funny. Is. I didn't like it as a kid the way it looked, but um, it aged. You know, it aged really well on me. I was like, oh, this is actually a really gorgeous yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Yeah. He would be. I think that Walt would be disgusted by these live-action remakes. Speaking of Hundred One Dalmatians. Oh. Oh my gosh. Uh, he, he would just be out. like, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. No. Stop it. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. He, I mean, he was could, famous. Could, he was famous yeah, for saying, yeah. well, "We keep moving forward." Yeah, that was the thing. You could tell that he wouldn't like it because he was he was so creative and innovative. He always was trying to say, oh, "What can we do that's bigger? What can we do that's better?" That's why he went from animation to making theme parks. That was his I mean, attitude. Yeah, and then even when he was like uh, forced to do things for the investors, like uh, I don't know how how familiar y'all are with the theme parks, but Walt Disney World, he was not interested in making a theme park. He was going into Florida to make a few, you know, a city of the yeah. future. But the investors yes, were like, oh, right. a Disneyland. And he's like, oh, okay, all right, I'll give you a Disneyland, but I still want it to be different. Did you say city of the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still want it to be different. I want to, diff- you know, do different stuff with it. And then he died and they were like, let's just copy stuff. We- <laughs> right. Yeah, because he like- died right before. Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, like originally the Fantasyland dark rides for uh, Disney World were supposed to be totally different. There were there weren't going to be any copies. Yeah, because that's right. what. Right. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say he came up with the idea for Epcot before the Magic Kingdom yeah, even yeah. entered his mind. Yeah. Magic Kingdom was forced on him by the investors. He didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Epcot—that's what it means: experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Mm, yeah. Okay. So it's like he even when he had to do things to please investors, he at least wanted to do it differently. He never liked to repeat himself. Yeah. That's my exactly, point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He That's said cool. we keep moving forward. We don't that he would have no interest. The only thing I think that might interest him is something like the jungle book because that had like the new technology that they were right. using. So the that might have interested him, but mm-hmm just redoing what they'd already done i just don't think that would have interested him at all anyway i think we've kind yeah, of drifted you, away you, from song of the south song of the south is boring <laughs> it's not good you can, so you can edit this that's fine 
Well, but, I mean, we are talking, talking about Walt. We're talking about theme parks, anyways. We could segue into the Song of the South stuff in the theme park if we want. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, um, yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> so the very interesting thing that um, you may not be familiar with is they did not make an attraction for Song of the South because it was, you know, um, a hit movie. It was more because they were looking desperately for an attraction. Um, mm-hmm. So what happened is I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Country Bears in the theme parks. Yeah, I know okay. what they are, but I've never, I've never been. been to the theme park, so yeah, I, I just well, know they're vaguely creepy animatronic bears. <laughs> <laughs> the Country Bears are, are my babies, and I love them all. But anyway, so what happened was when the Country Bears opened with the Magic Kingdom in 1971. It was a huge hit. It's like a tiny little mm-hmm. theater there. So they would have like full houses all the time with huge lines. Everybody wanted to see the bears. So when they brought yeah. it over to Disneyland, they thought we have to be prepared for these huge crowds. So they made it two theaters and they gave the bears their own theme park land called um, Bear Country. And that was 1972. The thing is, Disneyland is local. So after everybody saw it, they were kind of like, eh, we don't need to see it again. It's just the same show. And it died. <laughs> Nobody went there. Yeah. And um, right. yeah, so what was going on was also at the time, audio animatronic shows after that were getting less popular. In 1974, they had a, a Tomorrowland animatronic show called America Sings for the Bicentennial of America, which has like had like the most animatronics ever. And then that quickly died because nobody wanted to see that. <laughs> and um, I'm sorry for... Um, America Sings fans. I know there's so many of you. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what happened was they were trying desperately to utilize this uh, land in Disneyland that nobody was going to. Yeah. Um, so Song of the South had a successful, like, you know, mildly successful re-release in 1980. In 1983, Tony Baxter thought, hey, we're trying to think of a ride. You know, someone suggested a log fume. Hey, that could go really well with song of the south so that's how it happened it's only it's because the country bears they messed up the country bears (laughs) well that's interesting to me because i thought that splash mountain was all the way from the very beginning like it was one of walt's original rides oh no Uh, it was added in 1989 yeah so it's it's relatively new it is relatively new that's what's so weird because they'd already stopped like releasing the movie they'd already it was already kind of on the outs and that's so what's for so them, fascinating about yeah it's so, so inch- michael eisner her. came on in like 84 and he didn't really like this movie but they went along with it because i i have to guess the concept i don't know um maybe i should have consulted a real splash expert uh, <laughs> he didn't really like the movie though and he was the one who was kind of like he's credited for suppressing the movie. The movie did have one more re-release in 86, uh, supposedly to promote Splash Mountain. But from, yeah, from what I understand though, like the ride was already being made, you know, before he came on as CEO. Um, And I guess like, he he was also the one who gave it the name Splash Mountain because he didn't like Zippity-Doo-Dah River Run. Um, (laughs) Well, it does roll off the tongue better. Well, it it was weird. Is he was like, it can promote our movie Splash, which is a hit. And 
Oh my God. What do you think of the major mountains? Which, where do you rank Splash? I think so you've got uh, Space, Thunder Mountain Railroad, you have Splash Mountain. I think Splash is actually the best one, but yeah. I'm not that big of a fan of Space in the first place because I think it's a little overrated. The Disney mm-hmm. Park fans are going to kill me, but I'm kind of like, <laughs> you're being fooled. Fans are blowing in your face in the dark. You're being fooled. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing about yeah. Space Mountain is that it hurts my neck. I'm too old for it, I guess. Uh, which no, one are no. you? Which one have you been on? In Disneyland. Okay. It oh, whips man, you around so much, and I World. Matterhorn is even worse. Space make- Mountain is Disney World's Matterhorn. <laughs> they don't have oh, Matterhorn oh, there. Ray- what? Rachel, have you have you Rachel have you ever been on Splash Mountain? I have been on Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain is pretty fun. Uh, I I I don't like drops all that much, but it's just one, so it's fun. Uh, it's nice and yeah, long, okay. so if you're tired, you can you can go and it's like a 12 minute ride. Here's my question. Go ahead. How desperate were they that they picked this fo- film as the theme of this ride? <laughs> <laughs> like, how many people even knew about it? I think one thing to understand is that Disney Disney Imagineers are the biggest Disney nerds you will ever meet. Oh, so they're they like, I know all about this, so this is relevant. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair to them, it had had a successful re-release in 1980 for like the 100th anniversary of the Harris book, I think. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, actually, there's actually kind of an interesting progression there because so Disneyland Splash Mountain opened in 1989. At that time, when they opened the ride, they assumed that you knew this movie so, like, when you go into the attraction, you start by the fireplace where um, oh. Uncle Remus tells his stories, and you're supposed to realize, oh, he, Uncle Remus is telling us a story, and there's dialogue plaques throughout the queue um, where he's, like, telling more and more of the story. This but, also, yeah, nobody this, knows what those this, are anymore. <laughs> this also seems... This also seems like, okay, so they're nerds, but this also seems naive or something to me, because this film that incited picketers in the 1940s they're like oh yeah let's make a ride out of that now (laughs) (laughs) well well, tell tell that tell that to the people who re-released it in the 80s it's like my guess is nobody really cared in the 80s about it i don't know what happened in the 80s man i don't know besides well i mean it was the dark time for disney animation so they were just trying to figure out something to do with something i don't know until Little Mermaid came out, it was. I mean, I loved Great Mouse Detective, but it, it wasn't I until Great Mouse Detective. Oh my goodness, it, that bat was so scary! <laughs> <laughs> Great Mouse Detective I mean, is the real start of the Disney Renaissance. I don't know. I don't know where. I don't know what other film aside from maybe Robin Hood, because that's like a folksy, a little bit of a folksy vibe. I don't know what else. What other property at that time? what else she would because that's the thing like um song of the south fit perfectly with the theming of the land with the country bears all they had to do was oh okay yeah i'm sorry i didn't make that clear they they were being frugal (laughs) well i mean they wanted to eat the country bears they were just trying to find a way to bring people there do they have a robin hood attraction no they should but but because that could have been really cool yeah because disney hates robin hood yeah 
Well, Critter Country is more like South Southern base where Robin Hood is like England. Robin uh, Hood would fit better in Fantasyland, which is where the European stuff is. Oh, but right. still, yeah. it's like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I Disney has a. Sorry, could have gone with Bambi. I was, I was going to say they could have went with Bambi because there's no Bambi attraction. Yeah, you could have like Bambi. little hunters behind trees. The kid comes oh, off the ride. I killed Bambi's bomb. <laughs> yeah, little plush rabbits floating somewhere. I I, uh, yeah, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. No Bambi. No <laughs> hey, if they made Pinocchio, they could make a Bambi attraction. Like, it was, that would actually make more sense to me if they had. Bambi. Bambi and they had all of these little woodland creatures along but the side. They could have always just created their own IP, like they did with the Haunted Mansion, for example. Yeah. Oh, Di- okay. The interesting thing about Disney parks is the 70s were kind of the death of, well, okay, eight, early 80s. What happened was Epcot failed really big and they, were, they just went really against original ideas. Mm. So it's like actually Imagineers like love working with Tokyo Disneyland. The Oriental Land Company, because it's actually another company, and they're really into trying new things. Whereas the U.S. Uh, parks, they're always like, "But it's not IP based. We, we want something, you know, yeah. cars. Make something with cars. You know? Are they just wanting to? I mean, to be yeah. good. I was gonna say to be fair, like how did how successful would Disneyland be if it wasn't IP based? I that's probably if it was for those movies, that theme park would not be as successful. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing people forget about Disneyland is when it opened, only really Fantasyland was IP based. Everything else was original. Yeah, because you Um, had like Small World. You had, I mean, there were a bunch of rides that were unique the not ip based but yeah i mean it's it's an interesting yeah. choice they could have just done oh yeah i don't know the fun log bloom ride <laughs> would you say would you say it, here's a question would you say okay. at this point that disney is more interested in riding the coattails of what has been successful in the past or the coattails of somebody else's success that they can like oh right this is already successful let's bring this on than oh, than, than being really inventive now. I'm curious. What in is your past, what is your in in a sense? Period. Well, I mean, I'm I'm interested. Of, like they they go off the success of their film division, um, the mm-hmm. parks. They they do innovative technologies. That's one thing that is good. So they try new things. Mm. Um, but they, it's not that the parks. It's not that the Imagineers aren't interested in trying new, you know, completely original things. It's just that the Disney company will not fund them. They are doing original things in the sense of like having trackless rides. Yeah, yeah. That's the innovative things, stuff. Things I'm talking like about. that, like Rise yeah. of Resistance and the Ratatouille ride. Um, but one thing that's frustrating as far as a parks person is that almost all original, unique things to each park has been uh, taken away. So that it doesn't matter whether you're in Disneyland or Disney World or or wherever it might be, you're going to have basically the same stuff going on. Whereas I think there used to be a lot more of a distinct, this is Disneyland, this is Disney World, this is... It's actually one of the interesting things with Splash. Um, I didn't finish saying it earlier. So mm-hmm. when they made Splash Mountain in Disney World in 1992, they... So this is kind of fascinating. So Disneyland, they assumed you knew the movie, and that opened 89. Mm-hmm. Uh, 92, well, Disney World, they assumed that you don't know the movie, so they put like plaques of the characters with like little summaries of them in the ride, like in the queue. 
you mm-hmm. know who they are. Yeah. Um, but also, if anybody, uh, Splash Mountain, Walt Disney, you'll never hear this from me usually because I'm a big Disneylander. I usually pretend that Disneyland has the best of everything, even if it's not true. <laughs> Splash Mountain at Disney World is the better version. Ben, that's cool. You yeah. like so, the original or the second one? Splash Mountain at Disney World is better made in general. Uh, it's bigger. The environments are better. It has better theming. Disneyland, they had like a tiny little space to put it in because they needed it to be in Critter Country. Okay. It's actually... Okay. Um, it also ties into the controversy we have now with um, it being changed to Princess and the Frog. So I was oh, a little yeah. blindsided by that decision, but I realized, you know what, this has been coming for a really long time. Yeah. So what happened like around the two, early 2000s is a worker who was cleaning the exterior of Space Mountain fell off because um, the like the height safety regulations weren't being followed or so, enough. Uh, no. So what happened is all over the park they like maintenance on these things that were high up were limited so splash mountain because so many of these things are like so many of the animatronics are inaccessible splash mountain basically became like broken mountain everything was broken Mm. um it's sad (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know dark mountain uh because the lights were broken too so it's yeah they did fix it up in 2018, 19. They had one major refurbishment where it all looked good again, but then it all broke down again shortly after because it's uh, a water ride, right? So everything shorts out and yeah. they can't get to anything. So this has actually been a really long time coming and I've, I've yeah. accepted the fate. Um, <laughs> so Disney, it does kind of make sense to me that they've been thinking about completely gutting Splash for a long time. Well, and another I thing mean- is... Since it's not like from the 1950s, it would be harder to feel sad about like you're mm-hmm. not giving up something super original. That was that was what I was thinking because my I I thought that this was like one of Walt Disney's originals. So now that I find out that it's not, it's from the 80s. It's like there shouldn't be that much of an upset about it being taken away yeah. yeah well i mean it is such a good ride though i mean it's so well designed just the i don't know like a lot of theme park fans are kind of like oh like the idea of like using the story of like uh, i don't know if you guys know the story of splash mountain i'm sure you guys who have been to the theme parks do yeah but um basically once briar fox catches briar rabbit briar rabbit tricks him into throwing him into the briar patch and that's the big drop you're being thrown into the briar patch which is mm. so clever, I think, from a theme park ride just designed perspective. So I feel like a lot of people are kind of miss, like they really like it because it's very well thought out. Mm. But yeah, I do agree. It's we're not losing too much historical value. Part of it's probably I mean, just the whole change is hard thing. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that's what it is. It's oh, like theme park fans the hate changed. <laughs> they went through the same thing when they when they replaced the country bears with Winnie the Pooh. Like it was like the same I'm not thing. Over that. It was like <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm still not over my dentist retiring. So you know I, can't, I don't know how much I can throw stones here. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not I'm not an overly like sentimental person when it comes to Disney. I'm a huge fan though, but but like I'm I'm all for change. Like if it's a, and and besides like the Princess and the Frog, it's like it, what what's gonna be the big difference with that anyway? Is it, isn't it? It's still gonna be a water slide, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. is it gonna yeah. be creepy? Because that movie got a little creepy. Yeah. Probably. Well, I don't love Princess and the Frog, but. I do think it was a long time coming and they needed to pick something. And Walt said yeah. that Disneyland is not a museum. It is going to be continually evolving, continually changing. Right. And I think so. that works really well, at least for Disneyland, is that it's right on the verge of Critter Country and um, New Orleans mm-hmm. Square. So it, yeah. that's, that's why oh, I yeah. think Princess and the Frog makes the most sense because it's an American story. It takes place in Louisiana. It has the basic animals that would be needed in that air, general area that right yeah, it could fit into yeah. both lands yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh, less controversial than song of the south that's probably a huge plus too <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i, I kind of wonder if part of the reason why they made splash was e- even though eisner started like not wanting to release it i wonder part of it was kind of like reclaiming the song so they could use the song Oh, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't I know. Mean, though. That's just a Zippity theory. Zippity Doodah has become like one of those iconic Disney songs, even though nobody knows where it's from. I yeah. think I've heard that they yeah. took it out of the Esplanade loop. Like the Esplanade loop plays the iconic songs in the parks and they took it out. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. At that, least that's you, what I heard. You can't get rid of Zippity Doodah. You can't get rid of that. You will yeah. have to pry Zippity Doodah out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is a great classic song from the Sherman Brothers. There's yeah, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was like the, I mean, Sarah just said she liked the choral stuff, but that the only one that I really remember, even though I only watched this two days ago, is Zippity Doodah. I love like, how the do rest you do? is kind of it disappeared out of my head. Yeah. You know, yeah. How do you how do you do was like the first. I think the how do you do was like the first song I ever heard from this movie because that oh, song my. was in the. Disney sing-along song videos was that, that I grew the, up with. Was that at the beginning of the film? Yes. No, it was the... Well, I mean, no, it's wait a minute. Towards, isn't it? It's, no, the zip, Zippity Doodah was the first animated segment, and How Do You Do was the second one. Oh, okay. I'm thinking yeah. of the ride. Never mind. I'll block myself yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which song this is right now. Okay. Oh, it's the How Do You Do, Mighty Friendly Grading, How Do You Do. Is it Say kinda, when you're meeting, yeah. yeah. Does it talk about spring or anything? Because I probably liked that no. one. I don't know. Uh, I don't think it works. <sighs> no, 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 Maybe no, my no, mind no, just no, wants no, it no. to sing about spring because it <laughs> songs about spring. <laughs> <laughs> Song of the South fans are yeah. listening to this in rage. Oh, They're well. crazy, yeah. All five of them. <laughs> Everybody else is going to be you? like, what do they have to say about... <laughs> How do they know? How can they get the spring song mixed up? I just feel, I just feel like Song of the South is is like an after school special. It is so bland. Okay, maybe somebody can answer this question for me too. How big? Because I I may be making more people mad than I realize. How big is the fan base of this film that I never watched as a child? None. Uh, I feel yeah, not big. It's not big. This has gotten more of a fan base after you know not being released. Let's be real. Yeah, the Forbidden Fruit thing, or but I mean, like the a super obsessed Disney fans looked it up. They might have like not cared 
otherwise. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. They should exactly. just release it and move on. Yeah. Move on with our lives. <laughs> I mean, Peter Pan is available on Disney Plus. I mean, it not to a kid's account, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. What is Bob, Peter, Bob, Pan. Bob. Peter Pan? I'm sorry, Eli. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I, well, Bob Iger talks about this movie, and he said that it's just it, it's so it, it, he just he basically just thinks it's too inappropriate to just release for a modern audience. It just seems like it's it, he he says that he's talking about it internally with the other executives about how they should handle it. They say they want to do something with it. They just haven't come up with anything yet. They just mm. don't think it should be on Disney Plus. I think they should have, what they should have done is in the 2000s, they had like some collectors, um, some collectors line of like exclusive Disney stuff Mm -hmm. on DVD. Yeah, Yeah, they should have released it with that. Problem solved, but they Mm -hmm. didn't. Agreed. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, then only like the major collectors would have gotten it. Not because what Disney is concerned about is like it becoming mainstream, I guess. And then criticism they could could get from that. I feel like sure there there probably is a point where you really have to draw a line about racially offensive content, but at mm. the same time, I think people need to be able to watch things in the context of the era. Sure, if you want to put, it's like I don't want to be denied watching a cartoon that has smoking <laughs> in it just because people shouldn't smoke. And, yeah, yeah. And I remember like growing up. I I was both surprised by racism, but I wasn't totally she I wasn't shielded from content, old content that would have be that would be considered offensive today. And I think that you need to to get the full picture of history, be able to watch some of these things and say, well, that was then, and they didn't necessarily mean it as offensively as we take it now sometimes they would have i mean like the thin man the way that the african the way that the black man was portrayed on the thin man was absolutely ridiculous because they made him look so stupid but yet he was an extremely skilled musician so you knew what they were doing there it was supposed to be funny but it was it was ridiculous whereas with other stuff i don't i think sometimes it's done more innocently that doesn't mean that you imitate it yourself but to just throw everything out without being able to experience the problem is people don't want to understand historical context they they yeah. can't and i think also our problem is parents don't want to talk to their kids about the media they consume oh yeah yeah like that's the big thing yeah, yeah it's like actually mm-hmm. i kind of like what they would you know you guys heard the controversy about peter pan being canceled because the kids accounts on disney plus can't access it you have to access it through an adult account yeah. Why is that like, being canceled? People, uh, it's, it's you know, people over complaining. Saying it's canceled. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're trying to get clicks, basically. Yeah. But I'm like, great. <laughs> then the parents can talk to them about why yes. red man. What makes the red man red is not you know appropriate nowadays. Yeah. Mm, well, I, I forgot I, about I, that. I, I, <laughs> I. I Peter, Peter Pan was one of the movies I grew up with as a kid and I saw and I so I grew up watching that red man sequence like throughout my entire childhood I don't feel I, that ever I don't feel like that ever made me look down on Native Americans 
No, it didn't. It didn't. That's the thing. It didn't. Like I, I grew up because my mom raised me properly and I'm an intelligent person. So I know that that's not an accurate portrayal of Native Americans. So I didn't, it didn't do anything. I just, I, all it did was just, oh, this just a stupid cartoon. Like, so yeah. it didn't. It's, it, it's not as harmful as people think it is. Mm. And that's a, not here's, that I'm another, saying, yeah. here's another rant. Not that I'm saying they should have put like a, a warning label on or anything. But anyway. I, I just think people are very, very concerned about um, stereotypes. And I, I think that people also need to have discernment with stereotypes of like, are they actually portraying something that is unique about a culture and say, oh, that's a stereotype, so we have to get rid of it. And at the same time, erasing something that's unique about it. And I'm not saying that about the Peter Pan song, okay? <laughs> no, no, but, no, 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 no. I know what you're, I know what you're saying, yeah. But it's like, like somebody could kid me about my Canadian heritage and just get in my face and be like, hey, hey, you like maple syrup? And it's like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I like apple pie is, yeah. and, 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 you know, snow drinks like, too. Like, and, like a, and I'm an, I'm an American. So that means I'm fat and I like to hunt. Like, yeah. it's like, those are the stereotypes and like, and those are, and you, and that's a balancing act because sometimes they cross over and you have to be aware. Right. Well, especially but, when you're dealing with humor, because part of humor is kind of, making fun of our our stereotypes and 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 things that we do without even thinking about it and i think uh, that i think that there needs to be room for stereotypes that are good-natured and not just a blanket oh all stereotypes are bad but you know yeah, yeah i feel like it's case-by-case basis you have to look at each situation mm-hmm. yeah and intent matters as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, and I feel like definitely in context of history, we can say Song of the South is not intended to portray African-Americans negatively. It's mm-hmm. not intended yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Intention and context are like really important. Yes. Definitely. And I've seen both in vintage film. Yeah. Well, this discussion is much more interesting than Song of Just the way this film goes, talking about it is more... Have you noticed we haven't really talked about the film itself? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's fine in this case. Like, the, the plot is so basic. And we, we kind of have talked about different things. Yeah, but the whole people thing aren't anyway, going to so. have no idea when I said talking about Johnny being gored, but he wasn't really gored. <laughs> So okay, well, at the end, he runs away and gets hit by a bull, and he winds up in bed, and yeah, that's where that comes The yeah. end. And he, yeah. he almost <laughs> dies, if not for Uncle Remus telling him stories. Yeah, that, was a, that was the magical part of the movie. Oh my god, he was saved by Uncle Remus's stories. That was like the tear falling on the dying man's cheek or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And then it's weird also, because it's like, it doesn't it still doesn't even end with him waking up to uncle ramus his parents take over so i'm like what's going on walt (laughs) (laughs) but you know the one thing i do want to kind of talk about song of the south is i feel like a lot of people kind of don't get that walt's talking like he he's using song of the south as a vehicle 
to talk about how important stories are. Mm. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't focus on the, the, um, controversial parts of the film and, and just only focus on what his intention was, then yeah, you can, you, you start getting blinded. Like how the stories taught wisdom and gave him strength and meaning. And when that was taken away, it basically screwed everything up. Is that like, is that like a loop? Is that like him saying the fact that I tell stories is important? Is that what you're saying or? I think so. Well, I mean, I think to Walt stories meant a lot Mm. and um, going along with me, you know, maybe using this film to project about his parental issues, you know, like not getting his dad to be proud of where he was in life. He's, I feel like he could be making the point here that just because he works on stories doesn't mean they're any less important than anything else. Um, that stories influence who we are as people. And also going back to like Alice, again, the, the story's uh, origin from Alice, that's actually the point of the original Alice books as well, the importance of stories and sharing them. So it's kind of like, I feel like that was his point with the movie, not really necessarily anything else. I hadn't uh, thought of that at all. Like uh, Uncle Remus at one point says something like, uh, and it's been a while since I watched it, but something like, you know, if stories are so like pointless, then why do they do so much good? Some, something like that. I forget now. Yeah, I remember that. He said something like that. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was good lines. Do you think yeah, he's a felt- good line? Do you think he felt a little bit insecure about his career? Like, oh man, people think I'm just wasting my time telling silly stories. Or maybe about his dad, maybe feeling like his dad thought that he was mm. wasting his time. His dad definitely thought he was wasting his time. So, See, yeah, that's, I think so. that's also human nature to be like, but hey, what I care about is valuable and here's why. And maybe he felt like he couldn't say that to his dad, but he could express it in other ways. Hmm. And I, I, I don't think know. that's also kind of why later in life he ended up branching out of just storytelling. To what? Oh, to um, theme parks, to, well, I mean, theme parks are storytelling, but like the city thing, for instance, and also like, you know, like uh, It's a Small World was a really big project about like the idea of world peace in general, not just about ride. Well, yeah, the, the, the thing that about the storytelling and the theme parks that like, well, like the making movies and making theme parks that are similar is that they, is that it seems like he always consistently wanted to put the audience through like a really memorable experience and he wanted to put them through something like he wanted to, like even when he was making Fantasia and he wanted like the, he wanted like surround sound and smell yeah. of it and in 3D and like he is super ambitious about that and that was very different. Disneyland like when he thought like that back then and even in and I feel like that's his main thing even throughout his career is just consistently he just wants to give people uh, an experience. He also wanted to like inspire people you can look at um, the way like New Tomorrowland in 1967 he died before then but um, he was a part of like developing it. It was supposed to inspire people Basically, all of Disneyland is really supposed to inspire people for a better future while honoring the past. Yeah, right, right. This is off topic and continuing on on our rabbit trail here, but how do you think that Walt would feel about the Disney empire now? Mm-hmm. Uh, conflicted. Oh. Yeah, I think he would... I, I yeah. think that he would... Uh, I think that he would be excited, yeah, about parts of it 
but he would be frustrated by the blandness by a lot of it. I feel like he would be really yeah. interested in like CGI, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more immersive yeah. cinema that we're getting to. I feel like he would love VR, which really frustrated me when the Disney company said they weren't going to go into VR really. Because um, yeah. he would have been all over that. Well, like something, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine yeah. what he would think about Cruella? Yeah. He would die again. <laughs> oh, yeah. He would, would hate the remakes. So yeah. <laughs> he hated the original. <laughs> so. Yeah. You could, yeah, you could, if you, if you study the history of Walt Disney, you can just sort of tell what he would like. You could tell he would like Pixar. You could tell he would yes. like virtual reality. He would be a fan of like um, anything progressive. Yeah, anything yeah. progressive, exactly. And I feel like he would be annoyed at the Disney company in general for like stagnating and not really going beyond entertainment. I think he would love Zootopia. I think Zootopia is totally. Oh, I think he would love Zootopia because it's able to tell like a message with storytelling. Yeah, he would. Yeah. He would have loved it. Basically, they lost their visionary, and now they're trying to work with, you know come up with their own ideas and work with what they yeah. have sounds like and, and, and another thing another thing that walt disney would have loved because he talked about wanting to do this but he never lived to to see it accomplished was that uh, the fact that they release a disney animated movie every single year that was something he always wanted and mm. he would have liked yeah. that they did they, he would have liked that they do that now and i think he would have loved streaming and I actually think he, <laughs> yeah. he would have yeah. been a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I feel like him and Kevin Feige are of sort of the same cloth. I kind of agree, yeah. I never really thought about that, but you're, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm not I too, think so. I'm not too familiar with Marvel, but I could see him like, well, I did watch WandaVision though, and I could see him liking something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I hate to break things up, but I have to go. It has been so much fun to talk with all of you. Uh, yeah, nice to meet you guys. This, yeah, this was really great. You're, a busy, you're a busy podcaster. I should have known you had to leave. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it has been an hour and a half. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to let people know where they can find you, Rachel? Yes. Uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out and also at the Hallmarkies podcast. And Eli? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, I'm mostly hanging out on Twitter at eJunkie2014, and, but I also have a blog at Entertainment Junkie Blog. And if you visit me on Twitter, then I'll send you the link to that. And that's where I talk about the entertainment industry, films, movies, uh, TV shows, video games, all that. And Jenna? Uh, my stuff is all Alice in Wonderland. You can find me on Phantom Wise uh, on YouTube. And then I'm part of the Curiouser Archive on YouTube. Um, I do have, if you're interested in stories and old anime, I am uploading one on another channel called Love Gift of a Fairy Tale. Okay. And Sarah doesn't really do much you can find me. If, you can find me if you really try, but it might be hard. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the Midwest. I'm in the Midwest. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I think this went really great. I'm so glad this worked out and we were able to do this film. I, I actually think this turned out better than I thought it was going to. So it was same. nice, it was oh, nice meeting all of you. Right. Yeah, I'm same. Used to you on the channel, but not actually talking to any of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was finally nice to talk. 
I've heard about you guys before. Yeah, <laughs> I never uh, talked to uh, Sarah before, and I've never talked to, I don't remember what's your name. Jenna. Jenna. I never talked to Jenna before either, so it was nice meeting you too. Yeah, I'm glad we were all able to get together and do this. This is a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Bye. Okay. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks for listening to the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.